Praise the Lord. Let's take a moment to just thank God for this time and let's pray that whichever word we have for this day will be met for each one of us and that it will penetrate deep into our hearts. So let's just commit the next 30 minutes or so into the Lord's hands. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege we have of gathering together in fellowship as you have asked us in your word. And Father, God, even as we set this noon hour, Lord, Father, we pray, Lord, that you will minister unto us, Lord, Father. Speak to our inner person, Lord, Father. And I pray, Lord, that you will impress upon our hearts, Lord, Father, that which you want to impress to us. Father, God, commit each one of us into your hands, Lord, that we will be with an attentive heart and an attentive ear and internalize all that you give us this day, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's take our seats, please. Now, many years back, I read a statement uh, by that eminent Christian writer, Warren Wearsby. And in that, he writes, We never have time for God but we always have time for ourselves. Now this statement may appear absurd because it did appear absurd to me uh, when I first read it. I said, I have no time for myself. I am really overwhelmed. And so where, where is the statement that uh, I have time for myself? That doesn't appear to be right. However, if you really sit down and write and introspect on what we are doing during the day or during the week, you actually come to the painful realization that most of what we have done is for ourselves. Something may be for others, but almost nothing for God. Now this should not shock you because this is the fact for a lot of us. We have time for gossiping, dissecting the lives of others. We have time for eating, sometimes overeating, and then exercising those extra calories away. We have time for browsing the net. We have time for checking our emails, our Facebook accounts, our WhatsApp, or to some of us, Signal or to others, Telegram, or to whatever new platform you have moved to. Every few minutes, maybe right now, some of you are doing that. Maybe here. And every form of entertainment of all sorts that we get on television. But sadly, we really don't have much time for God. Coming to church is a hassle for some of us. Reading the Bible is so boring for many people. Praying, either individually or as a family or collectively as a church is a painful task. Once upon a time, we were attempting great things for God. But somewhere down the line, our focus changed. 
somehow and somewhere the line between right and wrong got blurred. Somewhere we compromised with the world and somehow we forgot to listen to the voice of God. Now today we will take a commitment. We will indeed commit at the end of this next 30 minutes. We will commit to change all that. And therefore the title of this message is New Beginnings. New Beginnings. Please turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 verses 17 to 24. And let me read this passage from the New Living Translation, the NLT version. And I'm using the 1996 NLT version. Ephesians 4, 17 to 24. With the Lord's authority, let me say this. Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong and they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. But that isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. In a sense, Paul is asking us to throw away our old evil nature and instead display a new nature characterized by righteousness, holiness, and truth. And so now the question is, how do we do this? How do we display, how do we portray this new nature that is expected of us? The first obvious step is to decide that you need to change and that we need to have a new beginning. That's the first obvious step. The world calls this turning over a new leaf. We call it new beginnings. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, in the first part, Paul says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what we read in the New King James Version. Now, if I quote the same from the New Living Translation, this is what it says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person 
by changing the way you think. And while writing to the Colossians, Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. It all begins in the mind. Your desire to change, your desire to turn over a new leaf, your desire to have new beginnings, your desire to be a new person must start in the mind. It's something that each one of us has to apply for ourselves. You and I need to make a conscious decision to want to change our attitude and behavior. We need to make that conscious decision to choose to be the person that God wants us to be, not what the world wants us to be, not what your office wants you to be, what, not what your tribe wants you to be, not what your family wants you to be, not what you want to be, but you need to take the conscious decision to make that change, to be the person God wants you to be. And that starts in my mind and in your mind. It all begins in the mind. Now, does the Bible give us any more information on this, how to make a change? how to change ourselves in our mind. I know Paul says, you know, do not be conformed to this world, to be transformed. But does he give us any more information? Does the Bible tell us anything else? Yes, it does, quite a bit. Paul puts it very poetically and clearly when he directs us to do three things. And that's this. Number one, put to death. Number two, put off. Number three, put on. And we are not talking about the electricity switch. Paul says, put to death, put off, and then put on. That's a process. Okay, and there's a sequence to it. So let's try to go through it. So if we continue to read from the book of Colossians, and I hope you've got your Bibles open to Colossians chapter 3, if you take verse 5, Paul says, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. This is what is written in the New King James Version. In the New Living Translation, it translates like this. So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual sin, impurity, lust, and shameful desires. Don't be greedy for the good things of this life, 
for that is idolatry. So the first action point for us to do is this. And we need to mull this over in our minds. Do you want to do it? Do I want to do it? Do, can I do it? Is it worth doing it? We need to mull these things in our mind. Because this is what the Bible tells us. Put to death certain things. So the first point of action, as I said, is we need to put to death. Put to death means to kill, to exterminate, to eradicate completely. When you have a cockroach in your house, with all the strength that you have, you kill it, you re-kill it, you eradicate it, you exterminate it completely. Till not, till not even a cell of that cockroach can be found on your floor. That is what it means to put to death. I hope you get the point. You are not to put to sleep or push under the carpet any aspect of sexual sin, immorality, adultery or lust. You are to kill it. Jesus Christ, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 28 to 29, refers to the sin of lust and adultery when he says, But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, or to stumble, or to offend, pluck it out and cast it away from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. So when Paul tells us to put to, put to death sexual immorality, adultery, lust, these kinds of desires. He says that if you don't do it, you are bound for hell. And that's why we need to think afresh. That's why we need to think, is that what's been running in my mind? And this doesn't mean only the men. It can affect the women. And I know we have younger people also here. And today's world is full of it. Today's world is full of it. It enters your eyes and your ears through every possible mechanism. But you are to put to death, to kill it. This is what God said. This is what Paul has written, and these are the words in the Bible. So these are the words of God. Why? because they lead you to eternal damnation, put to death. Now don't blame Satan or the devil when you do something wrong. That's a standard, you know, a default excuse that many of us have got. Don't blame, the, don't blame Satan or the devil, and I'll tell you what. The Bible clearly tells us 
that these earthly things are lurking within us. That's what it says in the New Living Translation. These things are lurking. These earthly desires are lurking within you. So somewhere within our body, these desires are there. Now where do these desires come from? From the mind. And that is why your change has to start with the mind. These are desires that are lurking in us and we need to kill it. We need to ex exterminate it, completely eradicate it. And that is why you and I are instructed to put to death all these kinds of desires. We are also told to put to death idolatry. Now most of us will sit back comfortably and think that we are not idolaters. No, we aren't idolaters. That's for others. I'm not an idolater. Now sorry to inform you this, but the fact is that most of us are idolaters. Today, idolatry is not about having a wooden statue or a stone image and worshipping it. Anything that you want more of or anything that takes away your focus from God is idolatry. You better start thinking. What is it that's there in my mind that takes my focus away from God? What is it that maybe every time I open the word of God or every time I want to pray, my mind redirects me to something else? That is idolatry. And the Bible tells us, put to death idolatry. Now, I'm not saying that you should deprive yourself of good things in life. The Bible does not say so. The Bible says, don't be greedy, for that is idolatry. So it does not mean that you shouldn't be doing certain things. You can, yes, certainly. Uh, you are perfectly justified in doing certain things. However, if that is going to take away your time from God, if that is standing between you and God, that is idolatry. So think about it. So brothers, sisters, please put to death all aspects of sexual immorality and all forms of idol worship. The next thing we have to do is written in verses 8 and 9. But now, you yourselves are to put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds. To put off means to make a conscious effort to remove and to get rid of. To make a conscious effort to remove and to get rid of. So what should we get rid of? Anger, wrath or rage, as it's mentioned in some versions, malice or malicious behavior or abusive behavior, blasphemy, or slander, or speaking ill of someone, 
filthy language or dirty language. I don't think any of this needs much elaboration. I'm sure you get it straight, what the, all these things mean. So if you are that person who has or practices any one of these characteristics, please put them off. Because that's what we are told. Put off. Get rid. Remove them from yourself. Put them off. Remove them and discard them. And once discarded, do not try to put them back on again. The point is, you have to do this by yourself. You have to identify and recognize your fallings and failings. And you have to make every effort to make the change. You and I personally. That's what it says in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all things. If you have a problem of anger, I can't help get rid of it. If I have a problem of bad language, you can't help me get rid of it. I have to take it off. You have to take it off. You see that the onus of responsibility is upon each one of us. And we have to do what we have to do. And in verse 9, we read of one more thing that we need to put off. Lies. L-I-E-S, lies. The verse starts off this way. Do not lie to one another. Now for some uniquely human reason, we lie easily. And it does not seem to affect us one little bit. Don't tell me you have to do it in marketing. Don't tell me that your job requires you to lie. Don't tell me that you have to tell a lie to your little child so that the child doesn't do something. A lie is a lie is a lie, full stop. And we are told to put off lying. I haven't seen cats and dogs lie to one another or to us. And I've grown up with cats and dogs. They may hide when they do something wrong. Dogs will tuck their tail and come pawing to you and you know that the guy has done something wrong. But the dog doesn't lie. That's the way cats and dogs indicate their guilt. But for this, for humans, we don't seem to want to indicate our guilt. We think that we can go through life doing wrong things and then lying about it and hoping to get to the other side. You see, to make us feel better, we have invented new words. Alternate facts, fake news, white lies, they all are the same. Untruth, lies. Let's not dilute, let's not compromise these words. Let's not dilute the effect of what it means to lie. God takes lies absolutely seriously and the practice of lying is an abhorrence to him. In Revelation chapter 21 verse 8, we read, 
but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. In case that verse is not enough, please also turn to the next chapter, Revelation 22 and verses 14 to 15. Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Need I say anything more? So brothers and sisters, please put off all manner of unacceptable behavior and the practice of telling lies because you and I want to have a new beginning. We want to be a new person. So now, having put to death and having put off specific characteristics, is there something to do? And yes, indeed there is, and that is we need to put on something. And that is our final point for today. We need to put on something. Again, Colossians chapter 3, we start with verse 10. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We are instructed to gain knowledge of God and understand the nature of Jesus Christ. This knowledge of the triune God does not come from reading a multitude of books, nor going to a theological seminary, nor acquiring a PhD in divinity. It comes from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a constant and consistent meditation on the Word of God. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ and a personal, consistent and constant meditation on the Word of God. That's how you know more and gain a knowledge of God. And if you actually read verse 11, the very interesting verse, you will see that the first evidence of understanding God is to know that all people are equal. All people are equal. We should show no favoritism based on color, creed, nationality, social standing or anything else. Remember, you and I are meant to be spirit beings. Go to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. You and I are meant to be spirit beings. And therefore, I need to see you and you need to see me, not with our physical eyes, but with our spiritual eyes. 
And if we are able to see each other with our spiritual eyes, we don't see color, we don't see nationality, we don't see social standing, we don't see academic uh, potential, whatever. We don't see bank balances. We see the person for who that person actually is. And so, the step that you put on a new man and renewed your knowledge of Christ is indicated in the first step by your acceptance that all people are equal. There is no difference between any one of us. And, I, and I'm not talking about just those of us in the church. There are those outside. What about them? The only thing that really matters, which again you know with your spiritual eyes, is whether we have accepted Jesus Christ or not. Whether we are saved or yet to be saved. I don't like to say unsaved, yet to be saved. Because I believe every one of us will have that opportunity. Some of us are already saved, some of us are getting there. But are there more characteristics to put on? I'll probably take a couple more minutes before I end. Colossians chapter 3 verses 12 to 17. And I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. Where the puton is mentioned as clothe yourself. Since God chose you to be holy people whom he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you and you must forgive others. And the most important piece of clothing you must wear is love. Love is what binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. Let the words of Christ in all their richness live in your hearts and make you wise. Use his words to teach and counsel each other. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts and whatever you do or say, let it be as a representative of the Lord Jesus, all the while giving thanks through him to God the Father. I will not elaborate on these points because they're quite straightforward. They're self-explanatory. The only thing that needs to be said is this. You and I must choose to put on these characteristics or these natures. It cannot be put on upon us. We must do it for ourselves. As a reminder, what are these characters to put on? Number one, mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Number two, 
forgiveness and love. Number three, living peaceably with a heart of gratitude. Number four, speaking and singing the words of Christ. And number five, being an ambassador for Christ. As I end, I will just quote this one verse, and then I will ask Pastor Francis to come back. What happens if we choose not to put on what we have been asked to put on? Peter actually gives us that answer, not Paul, where he says in the book of 2 Peter, verses 9 to 11, For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Church, God bless you all. Pray and commit yourself to new beginnings. Put to death your old life. Put off.